The events discussed in this podcast are all true. The names are real names, real people, and real organizations. What's up, Video Landers? I'm your host, Dr. Diamond Doug. Triple D! And with me tonight is Mr. Miggity Mac. That's me! Quick reminder, you can find us on adventuresinvideoland.com or on our Facebook at Adventures in Videoland. We are critics with attitude. In many of the AV podcasts, you'll hear some bad language. Uh, That's not really our style, so we'll try to keep this rated R <laughs> packed with zombie violence, foul language, and gratuitous nudity. Brains, brains, brains. brains. <laughs> also, spoiler alert, if you don't want tonight's movie ruined, pause the episode, watch the movie, and come back later. With that said, tonight... We'll be talking about Season 6 Pantheon nomination number 9, Return of the Living Dead. Nominated by Brad McBoom, guest voter Robert Lane. But before we get to any of that, let's chat about Pantheon, Mr. Miggity Mac. What is Pantheon? Pantheon movies hit on all cylinders. You know, acting, directing, script, score, cinematography, special effects... They are essential viewing, and they have the X factor, that Mm. thing that's just so hard to put your thumb upon. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they are the best of their genre. There are nine members of the AV Council, the Adventures in Video Land Council, and every three weeks, one member nominates a movie, like this one nominated by Brad McBoom. Everyone else votes yes or no for for Pantheon with their reasons. They do a 500-word write-up. And in addition, there's a guest voter. So, nine council members, one guest voter. And then the Facebook community, the AV Facebook community, gets to vote in a poll, which counts as one more vote. So, if the majority votes yes, that's one more yes. If the majority votes no, that's one more no. There's a total of 11 votes. And to get into Pantheon, a movie needs a two-thirds majority, which is seven votes. Give or take. Give or take. You know, math. Plus or minus. Yeah. So, previously, and this is our final council nomination of the year, but Mm -hmm. so previously we've had eight nominations. It has been a big, big season. Lots of big names. Uh, So, we'll run down the list of what got in and what didn't. All right. Taxi Driver. Five of 11 votes did not make it. Drive. Eight of 11 did make it. Iron Giant. Four of 11. That's a no. Do the right thing. Ba-bing! 8 of 11. Blade Runner 2049. 8 of 11. The Godfather. Clean Sweep 11-0. Reservoir Dogs. 7 of 11. It made it in. Just squeaked by. Squeaked. And the the last one, Jojo Rabbit. Ha! Who doesn't like a good World War II Germany movie? 8 of 11, and it is in Pantheon. So... Just running down that list, six of the eight this year have gotten in so far. As far as our experience, this is the biggest year, I believe. Six of eight are in. Yeah. So, uh, a little foreplay, because tonight we're chatting about Return of the Living Dead. Yes. Which is not The Godfather. It's Mm. not Taxi Driver. No. It's not Do the Right Thing. It is not. It is not. It's not an art piece or a conversation starter, per se. No. More pure entertainment it is, it is very much entertainment, and there is a phrase that one person's treasure is another person's trash. This ah. is nominated by Brad, so it is clearly his treasure. treasure. And His uh, family says they watch it every year, that and they is love right. it. So, question for you. Yes. What is 
other people's trash, but your treasure. Ah, and this is actually in the same genre and everything. It's a movie I've mentioned to you before. A lot of people have not seen it before. Maybe some of our listeners have. But it's called One Dark Night. It's mm-hmm. an 80s movie uh, of same genre, except not zombies. These are like... Uh, wizards being brought back from the dead warlocks kind yeah. of a deal but it's a bunch of uh, it's a collage of kids of all the different stereotypical personalities that get together to try to you know end the the enchantment and mm-hmm. yeah it's it's pretty cool uh, I really like it uh, it's one I saw with my wife when we were dating back when and uh, I I think of it as a personal treasure but Anyone that I've suggested watch it, they go watch it. They're either polite or they just tell me they hate it. <laughs> what was that? So, and we I, I, we have chatted about this before, but for me, and we just mentioned it right before we started the podcast, mm-hmm. is a movie that you and I have watched together many times when we're many ha- times. hanging out, is The Hitman's Bodyguard. Which I think is beautiful treasure. It gets like a 45 on Rotten Tomato or something like yeah. that. It is not well... Uh, critically acclaimed, but I love the movie. I do too. Uh, so, um, this is a one man's treasure is another man's trash. I'm not saying this movie is trash. We're, we'll see no. the votes and how it goes. So no, clearly, no. Uh, f- from later when we look at uh, the various ratings, it is not seen as trash uh, across the board. No, no, no. So, uh, some movie facts for you. This movie is rated R. It's of the horror comedy uh, genre. Directed by Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the story for Alien, also helped write Total Recall and a movie called Life Force, which both has, Total Recalls uh, has uh, Life Force. I don't know if you've seen that. But I have. It has about as much nudity as this movie mm-hmm. does, mm-hmm. Uh, which is about a hundred percent. Screenplay Dan O'Bannon, the writers. Uh, I included them, even though uh, we don't always talk about that, but. The writers, uh, Rudy Ricci, John Russo, Russell Striner, uh, because they all had connections with Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. and there's an interesting connection of how this movie just came, even came to be. Right. Uh, because it's not part of the same world as the the, no. the Night of the Living Dead. It's not a Romero Living Dead movie. <clears throat> no. It's its own thing, uh, sometimes described as the bastard stepchild of Night of the Living Dead. Oh, so kind of like how uh, there's a there's a slutty cousin of the Sound yeah. of Music. <laughs> yeah, cabaret, cabaret. Uh, mu- uh, produced by Tom Fox, Graham Henderson. Music by Matt Clifford, Francis Haynes. Cinematography by Jules Brenner, who also uh, worked on Salem's Lot TV series in 1981 as the director of mm-hmm. photography. Mm-hmm. Did you see? Salem's Lot uh, TV Both show. Both the movie and the TV show. I figured as much because you're a King fan. I am a King Kinghead. Yeah. Edited by Robert Gordon in theaters August 16, 1985. Wide in the United States. Uh, runs high. Freshman at Purdue! Nine, 91 minutes. It's a svelte 91 minutes. Studio Hemdale, uh, who's done a bunch of stuff, including like Terminator mm-hmm, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, Cinema 84, distributed by Orion Pictures. This is starring a number of people who aren't uh, stars in their in, in too many other movies. You mean like Hollywood actor Clue Gulliger? <laughs> yeah, James Karen. <laughs> Don Kelfa is maybe maybe the one who's got the 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 most you recognize uh, his face if yeah. you don't know his name. And Tom Matthews. Um, uh, 
and uh, Linnea Quigley. I'll throw her in there. Sure, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, she uh, threw herself because she throws in herself in there. Oh, yeah, she does. Synopsis: uh, IMDb. When two bumbling employees at a medical supply warehouse accidentally release a deadly gas into the air, the vapors of trioxin uh, three or whatever it is, the vapors cause the dead to rise again as zombies. Brains. Brains. More brains. <laughs> So, as far as ratings go, IMDb, what is this? Uh, IMDb at? has it rated as a 7.3 out of 10. Metacritic? Uh, a 66, based on 12 reviews. By the way, that's better than Jojo Rabbit, which was only rated a 58. Yeah, which made it in last which time. Which made it in. Rotten Tomatoes. 91% is... For the, the for the critics. For the critics, a 79% audience score. And uh, 94% uh, Google liked it, but to be honest... Uh, the Google scores are like always between 91 and 94%. You know, Most of them I've are noticed, 93. Something I've noticed is that in the Facebook poll, it's not the same percentage, but when uh, a movie on the AV Facebook poll is is wildly yes, like big time yes, yeah. it generally also has a high Google score. And yeah. I'll tell you what I think that is, is that you know the, the everyday person, I'm not talking about male or female, the everyday person likes to be entertained yeah and this is and it doesn't have to be shot well or written yeah. well is if it's entertaining they want to watch is it. an entertaining movie for sure uh rotten tomato reviews uh very short one but i thought that it, it kind of hit chris hewitt from empire magazine rates mm-hmm. it as fresh is rated as fresh essential enormous fun i picked it up because it had that essential mm-hmm. and we talk about essential, essential viewing free. yeah Stephen Holden, New York Times, on the other side. And there weren't a lot of rotten scores, but this was one of them. The volume of stagey gore quickly reaches a point of diminishing returns. Mm. So, uh, New York Times, Stephen Holden didn't really care for it all that much. No, not so Um, much. uh, Brad mentioned Robert Eater, Roger Ebert in his uh, his Mm write-up of this. Uh, tell me about Roger. Uh, Roger, you know, Chicago sometimes. Sometimes yeah, He gave it a 75 and said, Return is a movie with some nice, droll opening scenes and the obligatory horrible climax. It doesn't make the mistake of Day of the Dead, which is talking too much. It's kind of a sensation machine made out of the usual ingredients. Uh, and the real question is whether it's done with style. Now, that's not the quote part of the quote that Brad picked up, but no. I thought that that was... Uh, that was something to look at. And I read this and I thought to myself, you know, uh, some people <clears throat> say that um, Mexican, I'm not talking about fast food, but like Mexican restaurants, it's 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 a it's a common set of 12 to 15 ingredients mm-hmm. done in different mixes. And when I read this review, I'm like, oh yeah, made up of the usual ingredients. But the real question is whether they did it with style. It's the same reason why I pick one restaurant over yeah. another. You and know? his answer will be mostly yes. Later, I mean, seventy-five percent, right? Bill Cosford, the Miami Herald, Metacritic puts this at Mm sixty-three. The whole point is excess, and O'Bannon's good at getting to that point. But the film is so clearly meant for giggles that it packs no nowhere near the emotional punch of one of Romero's, which are truly dreadful. So this is putting, uh, and when he says truly dreadful, it's Mm. in the sense of causing dread and not Mm. being like horrible. No, not horrible. Um, but uh. I, I grabbed this one because it pits this movie against Romero's movie, which later on when we chat about what might be that the hang-ups, significant. 
that that kind of comparison might be one of the things. Tom Shales. From the Washington Post gives it a 63. One problem, he says, is that the action in the film is restricted to a few basic locations. The medical supply house, a nearby cemetery, and the adjoining mortuary. Romero made highly productive use of confinement. Abandoned is not. But he does earn points with inventive gall, and there are enough lunatic thrills along the way to leave one with the giddy, giddy sensation of having been alternately scared silly and tickled even sillier. So a mixed review. Mixed. Yeah. So from the Metacritic hoi polloi, mm-hmm. the general populace, 7.8 for their reviews, mm-hmm. 15 positive, 4 mixed, 1 negative. Not a lot of reviews, but it is an older movie. Mm-hmm. I say older, 85, but older to the crowd that would be using this. Uh, on the top, R.G. McCready gives it a 10 simply Bing. stated one of the most successful horror comedies of all time why because it's funny and genuinely scary at the same time it doesn't alternate simply alternate between the two like they're mutually exclusive even its flaws seem utterly charming compared to most attempts at this melding of the genres and the dialogue remains eminently quotable hmm. not quite a flawless masterpiece perhaps, but a sentimental favorite that has aged remarkably well at the same time. And then Spangle says, wait, hold on, let me, hold on. I think I have it. Did you, where is he? Did you find him in there? No. Oh, man. No Spangle. No Spangle? What the heck? Come on, Spangle, you let us down in season six. That's not cool. But, uh, maybe maybe we'll hear more back from you in season, season seven. Maybe so. Maybe so. Tell me what I'm the noob says. I'm the noob gave it a zero. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. This movie's just flat out freaking stupid. It's very slow paced. And zombies don't appear until 30 to 40 minutes into the movie. And even then, it, play, it plays such a very small part of the movie since most of the film revolves around the cast trying to decide what to do and how to deal with the zombies outside i don't think that's a valid criticism no, from well, my point of first view. of all in romero movies zombies don't appear at the beginning Mm-mm. and in fact in the very first one it's i would have to look it up but i'll bet you it is 30 minutes in before yeah. the first yeah. dead appear uh you know maybe not in the background shambling where you don't really know where they are but i'm talking about like right up there as a part of the action so. now uh, the reason that i would say i, I would take uh issue with this is because there are many zombie stories out there that end up focusing way more on yeah. the human response to yeah. it. Uh, even I'm watching Black Summer right yes. now, which is all... I mean, you can't... For the most part, most zombie movies aren't from the zombie perspective. They are not. Because uh, most of them are not uh, you know, very animated and uh, loquacious characters. Uh, so Black Summer, all those zombies are the angry, sprinty, running, yeah, they're the virus, kind. spidey kind. Yeah, yeah. they're uh, like the ones from uh, Twenty Eight Days, days later. later. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They see somebody and they freak out. So we've got some AV Adventures in Video Land Facebook comments. How about John Shippy? My first thought to this is no. I remember watching this and liking it, but it wasn't a movie I ever thought was great. Uh, but I will rewatch it and see if the movie, see if I see the movie differently now. But I'm not optimistic about this one. So John, let's let us know what you think. Uh, Richard Howard says yes. It's one of, if not the, best zombie movies. It's funny, smart, legitimately scary, and the FX works as tops. And it doesn't follow Romero rules. Lisa Fernandez. 
I originally voted I haven't seen it, but after watching the trailer, I realized I had and wished I could continue forgetting. It's a no for me. <laughs> Connor Hawkins. That name's familiar. That yeah. sounds... Uh, Connor, Connor McBoom, I think he's... Oh, yeah. Connor McBoom. Little McBoom. No, he's not little. He's a grown man. Grown if man. the council says no to this one, they have no brains. It's a tradition to watch this in our house every year. Obviously, the Hawkins family loves this movie together. I get it. I get it. My family loves The Princess Bride, and that's been attempted to go into Pantheon more than once. A bunch. And is always rejected. So, you know. And uh, Scott Herdliska. What did he write? He just put the gif from Step Brothers. Yep. Yep, <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So. Well, uh, how did it do? Let's talk about how it did. Receipts. Receipts. So walk us through this. All right. Well, Return of the Living Dead came out, as you said, August 1985, 91 minutes, Dan O'Bannon directed. Production budget was $4 million, approximately. Domestic gross, $14.2 million. Didn't do any better worldwide, just uh, didn't increase that worldwide at all. The average ticket price in 85 was $3.55, which gives it what we call the butts in seats index. Mm -hmm. We just basically divide domestic gross by the average cost of a ticket. Uh, gives it a butts and seats index of four million even, which is just uh, a little over half, half of, of the Fight Club standard, Fight Club standard. at seven point three million. FCS, the very common standard of movie, uh, uh, like metric. Anyone yeah. who talks about movies understands movie people's no the Fight Club standard. <laughs> the Fight Club oh, standard, set. yeah. Uh, while you were talking, it, it, it struck me, by the way, mm -hmm. that we. We missed an opportunity uh -oh. to uh, use this podcast as like a radio show where we would start a podcast, but then start talking about a noise that we hear elsewhere <laughs> and then say, no, no, it's, it's no problem. Fine, it's fine, it's and fine. then later on as we go, they're like, what, what is that doing in here? Ah, just the whole show descends into chaos. Yeah. It's a missed opportunity. But it's not going to happen now. Not going to happen now. Fright. So I did right. some comparisons. Yeah, 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 by comparison, I came up with, you and I actually together came up with several movies yep. to compare it. Fright Night, the 1985 also. Suggested 85. because it is in Pantheon. It is in was Pantheon. Was suggested by Brad. It was released only two weeks before this movie, yep. same year. 106 minutes, so comparable length, within about 15 minutes, the same. Tom Holland was the director, not that Tom Holland. The the director, Tom Holland. He directed Thinner, The Langoliers, some yep. other Stephen King stuff. A lot of things. Production budget was $9 million for Fright Night. Domestic gross, $24.9. Same global. Uh, average ticket price, again, $3.55 for a BSI Butts and Seats Index of $7 million. Oh. So they did pretty good. They, they did. Right that there on the standard, baby. And then uh, another one I suggested. Evil Dead 2, which came out. It has the it fits in the same genre yep. of the horror comedy. Yep. Came yeah. out almost two years later, March of 87, 139 minutes, directed by Sam Raimi, who did the Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3. Unfamiliar with that. Uh, I've never heard of that. He's directing the brand new Doctor Strange movie, by the way. Unfamiliar. Anyway, yeah. Is that a comic book movie? It's, a, it's a, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, yeah. yeah, we'll see. Uh, production budget on The Evil Dead 2 of $3.6 a very light production yeah. budget. Uh, domestic gross of $5.9 Worldwide, same. Butts and Seats Index average ticket price in 87 was $3.91. So a BSI of one and a half million. 
which this has become a cult classic and so it's sure probably... made way more in, D- in yeah. vhs dvd and everything else yeah but, uh creep show creep show uh i picked it for a lot of reasons first of all directed by george romero uh 120 minutes it came out in 1982 november of 1982 uh production budget of eight million a domestic gross of 21 million worldwide also 21 Average ticket price, 1982, was $2.94, so it just slipped past Fright Night with a BSI of 7.1. So, remind me, because I've mm-hmm. got a couple movies into my head yeah. that I'm confused on. Okay. Creepshow is... What's in Creepshow? Creepshow is the series of Stephen King shorts, like Cat's Eye. Yeah. And, uh... So, uh, this the, is the one with Cat's Eye? And the, and the, and the, the grass? Greasy, yeah, and the grass that, that oh, Stephen yeah, King yeah, yeah, is, yeah. The, is the hillbilly yeah, that, yeah. that breaks open yeah. the thing. And there's, like, a big, greasy oil oh. slob on a lake. I had a couple different things in my head, and, and I was... Not like yeah. the other one, uh, a Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. Similar little anthology of shorties, right? Little yeah. group of shorties, but Creepshow. That That's one. right. Anyway, domestic gross of $21 million, uh, and and a BSI of $7.1 million. All right. So then I went... All right. Let's step away a little bit from this particular uh, corner of yeah. the horror genre, and then look at Alien. You're like, mm-hmm. why would you say Alien? Well, first of all, uh, Dan O'Bannon wrote the screenplay for Alien. So uh, he's connected there. It came out in June 22, 1979. 117 Minutes, directed by Ridley Scott. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's done a few things. Yeah, Alien. Alien. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. The Martian. The Martian. Yeah. Anyway, uh, production budget, $11 million, which that surprised me. That they only spent eleven million. Then I went back and played through some of the movie and the special yeah. effects. Yeah, they did yeah. it on very practical effects. So eleven million domestic gross, eighty one point nine. Yep. I remember the commercials for this movie in space. No one can hear you scream. That's great. The the the, the ads were frightening. Yeah. But anyway, worldwide a hundred and six million. But just looking at domestic gross with an average ticket price of two dollars forty seven cents, a BSI of thirty three point two. That's not quite uh, like uh, uh, Marvel BSI, but that's huge for 1979. It's big. Yeah. And that started a huge... um, um, Oh, yeah, just a whole... Like a... A cinematic universe. Yes, Uh, a cinematic universe. Which O'Bannon has writing cred on all of that because of the characters he created. So, uh, before we do our little deep dig, uh, we have... Some uh, gifts bribes. here on the table. They're bribes. Bribes from Brad. Okay. Let's and start uh, a little piece of paper here. The uh, we are currently, and I'll say he gave us something before we started, so that we would be wearing yes. these. Yes. So each of us currently are wearing our punk gear. Punk right gear. Now. And I've got uh, a wristlet with a. Uh, oh, my, it's leather. It's yeah, black leather. Black leather it's with got spikes. Spikes and yeah. studs. Mine yeah. has chains and skulls on it. And, yeah, uh, baby. Also, I have a koozie, a cozy a for koozie. my drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that on the on the front, it doesn't say anything about Return of the Living Dead, but it Not does directly. have the the text from the canister that had the zombie. The big in barrels, it. yeah. Property Department of the Army. In case of emergency, call one eight hundred four five four eight thousand. Which 
Uh, did you call it? I, I didn't call it, but I did look up uh, what it might be, and they said it's probably a sex... In the 80s, it was a... Or uh, in the 90s, it was a sex line. 80s, yeah. <laughs> and there's a little uh, hazard... Uh, not the real hazard symbol, but a hazard-like symbol on there with two, four, five, uh, which I can't remember that is a uh, has code. Well, here, let's... Uh... Let's see what this number says. So I'll just go ahead and type Call it. it in here. Dial it. Four, eight, Dial it on speakerphone, man. Yeah, here we go. one 800 Welcome to America's Hottest Talk Line. Ladies are waiting to talk to you. Press one now. There you it's go. A sex it's line. a sex line. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, also on the table that uh, we've got a little piece of paper. A little piece of paper that says, this is from Brad, it says, Happy pre-4th of July podcast. We are podcasting uh, just, a, just, a, just a day or two before the 4th of July. I wanted to maximize your holiday enjoyment with a few bribes. I mean gifts. I hope you enjoy your trioxin koozies, your punk bracelets, and your fire... Oh, fireworks! Look at this! Oh, yeah, because this movie was on July 3 and ends on yes. July 4. I got a little... You got a couple little Patriot Day packs yeah. here, like some... Some uh, poppers. Yeah, some, some Red Hots. Blue Fury. Oh, you're supposed to eat, you're supposed to eat the Red Hots? I'm yeah. confused about yeah. that one. Uh, yeah, and like the little, uh, the little uh, Roman candles and stuff. Cool. Very cool. fun. And a six-pack of red, white, and berry Smirnoff ice. Yep. I'm on my second. As am I. We <laughs> will wrap these up during our podcast. Mm -hmm. All right. So I hope you enjoyed your trucks and koozies, punk bracelets, fireworks, and patriotic Smirnoff. I also want to say thank you for adding to the conversation, and I appreciate your friendship. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the last council nomination for 2021. Have a safe and fun 4th of July with the family. But don't go to Kentucky. I heard it was going to be a scorcher. Wah, wah. Love you guys. Peace out. Oh, one more thing. I want to tell you something, and I mean this sincerely. No matter what happens, don't name it after me. Oh. See you at the barbecue. Stay scared. Oh, very From nice. Brad. Very All nice. right. So, yeah, thank you, Brad. It's always cool to get... Uh, like thoughtful little gifts that are connected back to the movie. Yeah, and uh, and uh, we also appreciate your friendship, Brad, and we appreciate getting to do this, uh, being in the Pantheon Companion. Very much so. Hanging out with uh, our our, All our, our faithful listeners. Uh, both of them. Both of them. Um, so, uh, I picked the first and the last bit. Brad wrote a tome. Okay. A very long tome that he had to put in two different comment he boxes. He is energized all about this movie. About the movie. So, I picked the first and the last. Uh, so, Brad says, this year has been a top, uh, been full of top-notch classics. We're talking about movies like The Godfather, Taxi Driver. We've had animation, sci-fi, a nomination exploring race and violence, a little bit of everything. I want to continue that trend and nominate something different. For the last council nomination of 2021, I'm going to try to keep it interesting. I haven't nominated a horror movie since my first nomination six years ago with Fright Night. This year I'm going to go back to my roots. I want to add a beloved horror movie to the conversation. I'm nominating Return of the Living Dead. And then he goes through a myriad of his reasons, reasons. for why. All the reasons. Getting to the end, he said, let's wrap this up. Do you like it spooky? Can it, can an over-the-top and tongue-in-cheek horror comedy make Pantheon? Yes. Is there room for a little holiday zombie movie like Return of the Living Dead? Maybe. 
Pantheon is not defined by a genre. Please remember that when voting, you might not like campy horror, but Return of the Living Dead is Pantheon to a lot of people. It's a classic in my house. It's currently sitting at 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Starting out a franchise out of a franchise has a legion of fans and gave me my first resurrection. Uh, I mean, erection. Mm. that's pantheon in my book i believe the council missed the point with one of my previous nominations miami connection which i did <laughs> vote in the positive for when i was a guest voter on that mm-hmm. one as a one of the best worst movies that's out there it's it's a fantastic movie if you haven't watched miami connection it's on youtube for freeze yeah i hope they don't miss it again because they can't put their bias to the side let's be rebellious go against the rules our and and put in something fun and spooky. I don't think Return of the Living Dead will make it, but it's worth a shot. It's now or never anyway. Enjoy the last council nomination of 2021. Have a f- safe and fun 4th of July. All right. So, now, uh, let's get into our deep dig on the movie. Yeah. And uh, we'll go ahead and start off by saying, uh, in your perspective, Mr. Miggity Mac, mm. uh, we're going to talk about uniquenesses and challenges. How do you see this as being a unique film as a Pantheon nomination? What makes it unique in your perspective? You know, as a Pantheon nomination, it's unique in a couple of ways. But one of them is that it's, it is not a movie that someone would say, this is well written, the dialogue is well written. Nor is it a movie where someone would say, the cinematography is so good in this yeah. movie. Or, the special effects are believable. I was right there. None of those things. Nope. And most, most uh, Pantheon nominations have those <clears throat> things going for them right out of the gate. Even if they don't make it into Pantheon for whatever reason, they have those things. Yep. And so... I think it's a it's a larger hurdle for this movie to get past because you're not starting with like a film that's really well made. It feels a lot like almost I should say it feels almost like a movie that was made on a shoestring by a bunch of friends from you know Louisville, Kentucky or something. Yeah. Um, and you know we we have friends who make movies that 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 I was watching this and I was thinking to myself. This could have been made by some of our friends. Yeah. So I think that's, as a, as a nomination, that's what makes it unique. As a movie, it has a unique element amongst other, uh, even campy, scary movies, in that uh, it's not taking itself seriously at all. It's not like we think this is a fabulous, scary movie, and it accidentally was campy and funny. Miami Connection... Uh, and he refers to it yep. in his nomination, they were seriously making a movie. They didn't realize they were making, you yeah. know, uh, a mockery of making a movie. Yeah. So, anyway, they knew what they were doing when they did it. So, I would add, this film is also unique in what it added to the canon of knowledge in cinematic lore about zombies. Sure. All we don't of have us, to follow Romero's rules. We don't have to follow Romero's rules. But today, if somebody says, what do zombies eat? Brains. Brains. And why do we say that? Because of this, this movie. movie. Yeah. Yeah. So this added uh, this added a really a fresh take on zombies. Uh, beyond that they like brains. Beyond that they speak. Beyond that 
they can plan, that they can talk, that they can, uh, that, you know, uh, they don't die right. at all, at ever. All. Like, in, in fact, uh, one thing that popped in my head was, uh, and, 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 and I just remembered it as you were talking about that, was that the, uh, the, the White Walkers, the dead in, in uh, Game of Thrones, you could cut them to pieces and the pieces would still try to come after you. Yeah. And that's from this movie. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like most other zombie movies, you 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 cut them all, you, you poke them in the head with a stick, a knife, or shoot them in it with a gun, and they're just a lump of Hit them with a flesh. bat in the head. That's yes, enough. hit them with a, with a two-by-four, yeah. you know, uh, or a cricket bat, exactly. You know, uh, like Shaun of the Dead. I was just whack them in the head, they were done, one hit. And th- these are not like that at all. They do not stop. You have to take them to ash. So I almost expected an ash monster yeah. to rise up out of the crematorium and grab somebody. The uh, I, I I would say also, and you were kind of pointing to this by saying that the movie doesn't take itself seriously, but I would say even more than that, that the movie embodies the punk vibe that it was going for. Sure. Like from the like the entire soundtrack has got a like a very punk vibe. It's got the punks in it who are the you know the group of teens who are all punk yeah very stereotypical uh, and the movie itself in terms of how it approaches zombies and the story mm-hmm. uh is very punk uh it's certainly 80s and style punk, punk is ne- punk is never polished and if punk gets too polished then it's a sellout right right in so, fact there's even a character that's like this is not a style this is a lifestyle <laughs> you know yeah um, so also challenges on the flip side of that mm-hmm. same point. This is not polished, and you were saying it didn't have X, Y, and Z going down the list of things that you would normally yeah. think about for Acting, a pantheon movie. Script. But this movie is really rough around the edges, where acting is a mixed bag, and uh, that even even in its campiness, some of the acting is like. Oh, that's that's a little yeah. rough. Yeah. The dialogue, the screenplay itself, and we'll get to that, is fun and quotable and memorable. Absolutely. Uh, um, but like it, it's it's rough. It's rough around then, the edge. Then there's a ton of cool little Easter eggs just hidden, just in every little yeah. nook and cranny. There's a little thing here and there and here and there, just all over the place. Uh, just like the the the, the guy cutting off just one pant leg. Yeah. Uh, you, what was that? That's a thing. No, yeah. no, that's a, they were going for a thing when they did that. You know, yeah. the eye. We'll talk about later the the uh, eye exam chart in the background. Yep. I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. I just noticed it for the first time the last time I saw this movie for some reason. So, any particular other kind of like insights or things that popped into your mind while you were watching the film? I tell you something. In the eighties, watching a film like this, I would have been just enthralled and i was all in and now i'm watching it and i in my mind i'm comparing i'm comparing and contrasting uh oh yeah that's something they still do now oh i'm glad they stopped doing that you know what i'm saying like uh, just for example the the nudie dancing in the cemetery added nothing nothing adds nothing it was purely gratuitous it was just so there was a naked girl in cemetery basically now, to their credit 
Oh, she's they were, fabulous. Oh, well, I was going to say. Oh, sorry. Is that how we were going? <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't going to say that. I mean, I won't argue against that, but um, that they went, if they were doing gratuitous, they did gratuitous. She's, she was. She just, never got clothes she on. Never, she didn't get clothes on until like right about the time when she got killed and then they were off again. Yeah. So and she um, ran around naked eating people. Um, and I will say that there was a point in the movie where I'm like, okay, it starts with kind of like this, like, uh, kind of alluring nudity and then later on it's just kind of like it's sad nudity yeah it's like oh just somebody give her a shirt even the other characters are <laughs> like for christ's sake put your clothes on yeah yeah, yeah i um, know but uh but yeah and that goes uh, that went on for way longer than i remembered it i mean i re- definitely remember the scene of her dancing on sure. on on the on the the, the tombstone uh-huh uh, which is the the real life name of Cary Grant? Uh, is the it was like Alan Leachfield or something? Oh, was, was the yeah. grave? She was yeah, yeah. She was dancing on the little mausoleum or whatever in yeah. Resurrection yeah. Cemetery. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like it, like her, the length of her being nude in the film was something where I, on this rewatch I was like, wow, she just she's just very naked for the duration and what popped in my head was like think about the filming of this she was running around naked i'm sure they had a robe or something for but she was basically running around naked probably for days yeah while they shot this it's just weird so uh breakdown of the categories for this and uh this one kind of like miami connection i would say is a is an odd duck and we already mentioned it Mm -hmm. because it wasn't trying necessarily to be Schindler's List. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't. They weren't looking for breakout performances or Oscar-winning moments here. No. Can no. you read? Mostly. <laughs> Good. Uh, so, uh, act act, scared. Acting and casting. From your perspective, uh, what what are some of the thoughts that you have? I, okay, I had a thought uh, driving over here. I didn't express it to you, but I'll say it now. Okay. What if they had made this movie and convinced some soon-to-be A-listers, like who who went on to do big things? Maybe not for every single. Like Dracula role. 2000 and the cast. Uh, we've chatted about You're this. You're right. Like we were. It's like, like oh, I don't think yeah. of that movie as being like. Top twenty. <laughs> On the other hand, you're looking at all the you're looking at all the people. And you're, you're like, like Omar Epps, Nathan Fillion, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, Gerard. Yeah. Right? Yes. And so yeah, so yeah. But if and, they had and I had said to Brad or uh, just before we started here in a Facebook comment where uh, he he showed the teenagers walking against the you know walking down the sidewalk. And I, uh, I, I said, I want to see the prequel of how this group got together because they're disparate. They group. had, they had intentionally they're not all said, punk. What are the six stereotypical yeah. characters he said, from the eighties? And yeah, he said Breakfast Club. Yeah, that was the prequel yeah. to this movie. And I said, wouldn't it have been great if they had got the cast of Breakfast Club to make this movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, but the you know the actors, I think they 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 did their lines. They they did more than they did more than just do their lines. They they had expression. They portrayed the emotions they were supposed yeah. to portray. But they were not A-list actors, and I don't think that they went into a lot of trouble to cast. They didn't have a big budget anyway. But so the um, I will say this: that the first few minutes mm. of uh, and I, I I don't have the names in front of me, but Freddie, mm-hmm. the younger guy, yeah. and then the older guy at the medical supply mm-hmm. thing, um, that 
the interaction of those two was very natural. Sure. Like I watched them, I'm like, oh, this this was, like I really thought that that was well acted. And the kid was playing a yeah. kid who's learning a job, and the guy was joking with him. Yeah, we do it this way. Ha <laughs> ha! Surprise! No, we don't. We do it that way. Yeah. So that was all good. And then when the weirdness happened, like the uh, the flip got switched. And yeah. uh, it, it got rough. Yeah, and the, and and I thought that the you were talking about the character, the, the James punk, Karen is the, the punk. is the actor who yeah. plays the older guy. Yeah, like his panicness was kind of like no. oh, nah, nah. It, I know people like campy. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was like okay, this feels more junior high play campy. Uh, Freddie almost I felt a like, little bit better. Almost felt like bad improv. Yeah, Tom Matthews, I thought. Uh, did a more admirable job sure. during that, um, but but really, the uh, it was beyond camp. Yeah, for, beyond camp. But I did. I'll say this: the uh, um, Don Kalfa, the guy who ends up being the mortuary, the, mor- the, the mortician, mortician, that I thought that he had the strongest performance. In Here's the, movie. the weird thing: of all those characters, which one has a backstory? Even if it wasn't fully disclosed during the movie. The mortician. The mortician. Yeah. He actually has a backstory. It was almost like they told him what his backstory was. And, uh, and so he played it. Yeah. And, and he's an actual actor. And, and you had read up on this. I you mentioned did. it to me. Uh, and uh, it shows up in the fun facts a little bit. But we can mention it now. Sure. Is that uh, I didn't know this watching the movie. But when you said it, I was like, oh, I guess so. Oh, yeah. Those little bits fit now, don't they? He was written as a Nazi in hiding. Yeah, a former Nazi in hiding, which is why he carried around a Luger and would say these random and German phrases. He had Ava Braun on a picture on his he wall. He did. And, and there it was, was a and caricature it was, of Hitler over there. And it was humorous that he ends up hiding in the attic. Mm. Uh, yeah, a little, so, uh, yeah. little uh, Diary of Anne Frank going on there. Um, yeah, and uh, so that's acting and casting. Mm. I thought that... I thought. That By the way, I'd give it about a two and a half. Yeah, um, it was even though, like, sure. like there was there was no there weren't people who were really major good, standouts, and then people Calfa. who were so so bad. But it was just kind of like in the mix. Yeah. And by the way, the young lady who ends up dancing uh, in the in the cemetery, she knew what her role was. She played her role. She never stopped playing her role. Yep. She played her role. So uh, and she was in a bunch of other stuff. Playing similar roles. Very naked as well. Many, many times, but not always. Directing and editing. Yeah. um, So, I think the director knew what he wanted. Yeah. Right? O'Bannon knew what he wanted. He directed it exactly the way he wanted it. It wasn't like this thing got away from him and he was just trying to finish it. It felt to me like he was doing exactly what he wanted. So, in in, in uh, in that line of thought, for this genre... This campy horror comedy flick, uh, I'd have to rate it fairly high because he said this is what I'm trying to do, and it's exactly what he did. Yeah, and I, I would I'd be in agreement with you, and I would say that there was no mo- there weren't really any moments where I was like, oh come on, get on with it, or what's going on here, or why is that here? That it like it all hung together, sure. and he did what he set out to do. It was like Roger Corman makes Roger Corman films, and he does what he sets out to do. Yeah. Uh, and we've sat through some nominations where the director has a style, and whether or not we like the style, you have to tip their hat and say, well, 
You're true to your style, Mr. Wayne, Mr. Wes Anderson, yeah. sir. <laughs> so, uh, screenplay and story. Uh, ah, mixed bag for me. Yeah. I mean, I thought that they, I thought that they kind of shortcut the end. Like there didn't really seem to be a resolution. They so just let's said, bomb the place. Yeah, we'll just blow the blow the place up. I thought that of the standout categories, the screenplay itself was probably the one of the higher points because Fair um, the dialogue. I think directing was higher, but uh, yeah. screenplay, I guess, yeah. Yeah, but it, like it, it was, it was memorable. It was campy. It was fun. Um, so I liked that part. Cinematography and locations. That's, that for me, uh, that was probably one of the rougher spots. Like I think one of the reviewers said, it's essentially three locations if you don't count the street, right? Where they were running around in the street. It's the cemetery, the crematorium, and the uh, the lab, the, yeah. the building. And, uh, I mean, you know, what can you do? Like, there were three shots in the cemetery. I watched it. There are three different shots in the cemetery that they outshot everything from. And so, you know... Yeah, I don't think that they spent the their quote unquote budget well. No, they did on some this. extra of that black gooey stuff. I think with they the did a lot of that, uh, the seaweed guy. There's, I think, there's other movies that do better at having a uh, stuck in a butt like the fishbowl kind of experience. Mm -hmm. Like we're isolated. I mean, even Reservoir Dogs play, sure. plays up. That right? tension. It's 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 the it's the yeah. parking lot, the restaurant, and the inside of the building, and that's it. Between directing and cinema cinematography, connecting those two together, I just mentioned Black Summer, and I was just watching an episode last night, and for about five minutes, there was a a, a teen walking through the ha hallways at night of an abandoned ski lodge, mm -hmm. uh, and it was terrifying. Horrifying. It was horrifying. And then you hear very faintly. Yeah, yeah. But the. Uh, but, but even that, you're like, why is she trying to find it? Nope, she's going to go find it. But I would rank that higher I in agree. terms of its ability to not only its use of space, sure. but also the, how it was directed. So, um, score and music. So I liked the music in the movie. About half of it was very appropriately 80s, late 70s kind of punk music that I didn't recognize right off the bat. I think maybe some of those were sort of uh, not the originals, but almost like remake versions yeah. of those songs. But, but I mean, uh, it seemed appropriate yeah. for what was happening. I liked the punk... I liked the punk songs that they had in there. Right. Gave a good feel. There was a couple of songs that weren't punk that kind of popped in, and I went, is that... It wasn't Rick Astley, don't get me wrong, but I was like, is that Rick Astley? <laughs> Did I just get Rick rolled? Did I just get Rick rolled? Dark? <laughs> but no, but I just meant like that. That's it. But then I thought, yeah, but you know, with what's going on right now, actually, that's okay. Yeah. Special effects and notables. Okay, so special effects. They went with very practical effects. It's the 80s, after yep. all. They did have access to, if they had the money, CGI and the kind of stuff that they could have. They could have done stop motion. They could have done some of the CGI stuff that they had in Star Wars or 10 years before, six years before this. But, but instead, they went with very practical effects. And for the 80s and early 90s, most movies did. And uh, I gotta say, it was almost believable that the canister dude uh, was a talking half-skeleton, yeah. half-gooey zombie. Uh, right up to the point where they knocked his head off? Yeah. I'm wondering how they did that one. That's good, but it was a quick scene, I imagine. It was, you know, false yeah. head on top of the stunt guy. But anyway, 
I, I think I actually give give a nod for the special effects. Yeah, and, and Tarman, that's the is, one. Is spectacular. He's great. He's the only one that's that good, though. Yeah, the little um, half dog. That was a wind up. But also, robot. like I mean, the the the, the fun. The the fun uh, cadaver <laughs> that they cut off the head and yeah. was wandering around. That uh, was done well. That was done well. And also, uh, that I was really But he was orange. On. Yeah, he was very... It was weird. Orange. Yeah, that was odd. But the the pink, look... Pink? Orange? Whatever. But the look of it... Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, X-Factor. So, here's the thing. I would have to comment on the X-Factor for people who really love this movie... Like Brad, yeah, or like Connor, you know, yeah. uh, and and others who really like this movie. For them, the X Factor is going to be, you know, a five out of yeah. five. I saw this back when I loved it. It's part of my life. Uh, it was, yeah. I saw this movie mixed in with a bunch of other movies. I'm constantly getting it. And I mentioned One Dark Night, and there's another uh, Living Dead movie that starts with these same canisters laying on their sides in a sewer drain, which yep. might be the sequel to this one. I can't remember. But um, uh, I keep getting all those movies mixed up. So for me, I don't have an X factor for this one because it doesn't stand on its own in my memory. But I understand that people do. Yeah, and, and I would give uh, a modest X factor for this for being iconic. Yeah, yeah, you you made you made that point earlier. You know, it's like why do we say brains when we talk about zombies? Well, yeah. it's because of this movie. Between Tarman and the lore that they had, mm -hmm. the subversion of the Romero genre. They can run. They can talk. Yeah, they um, never die. So um, that was cool. I don't have nostalgia for this because it wasn't it wasn't like um, Critters is a movie that has more nostalgia for me. Than this one does. Gremlins, yeah, has more nostalgia than me. And if you go back and re, re really honestly, with a critical eye, rewatch Gremlins, yeah. Well, and uh, also I would say, part of this pantheon process is asking: Is it the best of oh, its genre. genre? Yeah. And if this is say horror comedy, yeah, at, from the eighties, yeah. if we're if we're gonna narrow it down sure. to the best of its genre as horror comedy from the eighties, yeah, campy, eighties campy punk horror zombie, and I would add, I comedy. Would, I would I would throw in there, Evil Dead Two, mm. would rank higher, for I, me. I think so. Yeah, um, but. That's my personal take on sure. it. Uh, yeah, and we were chatting before we even started about Evil Dead and whether or not it had been put up and people like the original or this one. Right. But I would say for for this particular genre that there's there are other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Or if it's just horror comedy zombie films, right, right. Shaun of the Dead would rank higher. Would rank higher. Much higher. Oh, f yes, much higher. Yeah. Uh, done on a bigger budget. Is Shaun of the Dead Pantheon yet? I do believe that it is. Ooh, if it's yeah. not, we should fix that. Yeah. So, not that we have any control. <clears throat> this movie did get four Saturn Award nominations. Ooh. So this, uh, and, uh, and then we've got some fun facts in here that some of the zombie extras were paid to eat real calf brains they in the film. They were paid a bonus. Uh, Dan D Dan O'Bannon didn't want the actors to, uh, to do anything he wasn't willing to do, so he ate uh, the calf brain raw calf brains in front of them to show 
that uh, he wouldn't ask them to do anything he wasn't willing to do. I wonder if he did the nudie dance in front of everybody to make sure, you know, he, he was he was willing to do everything they want, he wanted them oh, to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Uh, jumping to number three there. Sure, according to Jules Shepard, Casey. That was the nice girl. Mm, the nice girl. Dan O'Bannon met her at a strip club where she worked <laughs> as a stripper. He initially wanted her in the role of trash. That's the naked girl. Yeah. But she was, at the time, fed up with being naked, and she suggested to him that she should audition for the role of Casey, the party girl, since she liked to party. So, and hold hold that thought there. Mm-hmm. So, we'll go to a segment that I'm going to go ahead and call a tribute. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. A tribute to Linnea Quigley's hoo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, is the reason why Linnea Quigley looked like Barbie down there. So uh, <laughs> when they were shooting this originally, she was unshaved and uh, showed pubic hair as the norm was in the 80s to not be clean shaven. Hello. Graham Henderson, visiting the, visiting the shoot on that day, said, you can't show pubic hair on television. That was that was his problem. Yeah. The pubic hair. Yeah. So, uh, there are countries Dan with the same problem today. sent Linnea away, had her completely shaved, which I don't understand what that phrase means, had her completely shaved, <laughs> if she didn't do it herself. Uh, so and she's found that to be the most embarrassing part of the whole thing, and then uh, <laughs> came back and Grant Henderson cried out, "Oh God, it's even worse! You can you can see everything." So at that point, Linnea Quigley, uh, they sent her over to Bill Munns and William Stott, where they made a, an alginate crotch piece resembling the bottom of a g-string and glued it on. And according to her, this was a bit of a problem because every time she had to go to the bathroom, they had to remove it. But because of this, there's no shots of Linnea with a completely naked crotch area like a department store mannequin or, as you said, a Barbie. Uh, So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, There's an extra little bit there. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, I, I, I in, in reading this little note, uh, I had this flashback to an experience. I was in a show. I won't say what show it was, because that would ruin the magic. And uh, during one of the dress rehearsals, out came all these dancers wearing uh, what was completely appropriate costumes for the characters they portrayed. However, everything was on display. And here's this row of adult, adult women but I am sitting in the This was at church, audience. right? <laughs> <laughs> almost. You could almost say so. Uh, they are just above eye level, and everything is there, and they're just smiling and dancing. It's almost like they had no idea, and as it turns out, they had no idea, because when they got dressed in their costumes, they looked at each other, and everything was good, but as soon as they started dancing, their costumes shrink-wrapped. Yeah. Yeah. And I, re- I was remembering that experience, and I turned to the director and I said, Oh, you got to be kidding me. And he goes, You know what? Let's just talk to each other for the rest of this scene. And so we looked at each other and had a conversation about his horse and my grandkid upcoming and all this other stuff. Uh, yeah, nope, nope, nope. We're going to have to get some spackle. Oh, wow. And I'm like, There's a thing called a dance belt. I'm just saying. Yeah. So anyway. So, uh, number five. After the, quote, rabid weasels are brought into the resurrection funeral home and the tarp is removed, what is actually in the bags are those little motorized toy monkeys that have the symbols, which they removed for obvious reasons. But I could just see that, ah, with no symbol. 
So again, um, Stephen King connection right there, by the way. As you mentioned earlier, that there is a eye chart in the background of the office. In the office, yeah. And it says, and with the new DVDs, you can freeze frame yes. Blu-ray and read everything on there. Mm-hmm. And the eye chart reads: Bert is a slave driver and a cheap son of a bitch who had who's going bald too. Ha ha. And so, but it's B, and then U R, and then the third row is T I S, then A S L A, then yeah, like yeah. an eye chart, right? You had to read a whole thing out. Yeah, yeah. Alan Troutman said in a DVD commentary that one of the main ingredients for the tar in his costume as Tarman was methicel, which is the thickening agent used in milkshakes, but also one of the main ingredients for the blob, 1988. So here is a fun alternate universe. Mm -hmm. The part of Bert was originally offered to Leslie Nielsen. See? What yeah. kind of a movie would this be if that was Leslie Nielsen? Yeah, but he wanted too much money. Well, they got yeah. a budget. Um, so going back to what we had kind of hinted at before, mm-hmm. John Russo had yeah. previously teamed up with Romero on Night, to make Night of the Living Dead. He's one of the writers. Russo. 68. Afterwards, both men had different ideas for sequels, so they parted ways and started working on an adaptation of a novel he had written called Return of the Living Dead, while Romero was making Dawn of the Dead, you know, in 1978. Mm-hmm. And independent producer Tom Fox bought Russo's script. He set up production and gave the script to Dan O'Bannon. However, O'Bannon refused to direct it as written, felt it uh, was too much of a serious attempt at making a sequel to Night of the Living Dead 1968 and didn't want to intrude so directly on Romero's turf. It was rewritten to occur in a fictional universe where Night of the Living Dead is a movie based on true events, with more humor up to the point where it only superficially resembled the novel. And in the movie itself, they make reference to Night of the Living Dead explaining. As, as being the uh, uh, yeah. a, a, a trumped up version, a, a juiced up version of the true events, which is this chemical that brings the dead back to yeah. life. The trioxin. So they, yeah, yeah, they pump all the, the, the infected dirt well, it in was, the bodies. It was, it was chemical to, that the military was going to use on marijuana plants. On marijuana plants. <laughs> Yes. So if uh, you enjoyed uh, some of these fun facts, these are from the IMDb uh, trivia page. Mm -hmm. And there are uh, a host of other ones that you can read up on. But I thought that these were some of the fun facts for the discussion tonight. And one of my favorites is a tribute tribute to Linnea Quigley's... uh, (laughs) Yeah. Our little Barbie doll spaces. Yeah. Yeah. A little little factory air going on. So let's uh, let's speculate on voting. Okay. Well, we know three votes. We know three of them. Brad currently. Hawkins is a yes. He nominated. April uh, is also a yes. April McBoom. Fr- Brandon Falk is also a yes. Yeah, and you can read up on their reasons why. Mm-hmm. In they're all posted. If you uh, go to the Adventures in Video Land Facebook page and then search on the page for, the for Return, on, Return of the Living Dead, you'll find the poll. You can click on that, and in the comments, you get all the write-ups mm-hmm. for people. So, uh, uh, we know two no's right? as well. That now, um, uh, handsome and dashing Kyle Brown yeah. has said no. He said no. He said no. And uh, he likes quirky comedies, but not this one. And Matthew Wade also said no, and both of them gave it like a three and a half, yeah. plus or minus. It wasn't an like, almost no. It was a straight. It, it up was no. a straight up no. But they didn't say it was garbage. They didn't give it like a one and a half or two. And just we, middling. We don't know 
the four other council members or the guest voters. So there, uh, but we do we can speculate that the Facebook poll will be a yes because it's, it's currently a yes. Forty nine uh, yes, 49 to eight, eight no, which yeah. is which is close to the five one five to one split mm-hmm. that we see on most of these movies yeah, anyway. Yeah. So you think about that, that would be like an uh, an eighty uh, audience score, right? So uh, of the five that remain. Mm-hmm. That Brad needs four of the five remaining people to say yes. He needs. He does. A, and uh, if you had to guess, no, he has four yeses. He needs three. He needs he has three. three more. He has yeah. Well, he needs three. Three of the five. Left. Yes, he yeah. needs three more. So uh, if you had to guess, I'm gonna guess where this would end up. Uh, I'm gonna guess he's gonna get at the most two more yeses. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to guess he's going to get two. I think that this Miami connection was 6 of 11. I think that this will end up probably floating around that same place. I think I think you are right. Um, and uh, based on the conversation, that I'm going to guess that you're going to be in the no camp. I am. Well, our vote doesn't count for anything no, 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 to except our listeners. I get a Facebook vote a just Facebook like everyone vote, yeah. else. Uh, I'm going to say no, but I'll tell you why I'm going to say no. All right. I'm going to say no because of math. I just add up my scores because it's the only way that I can separate myself from nostalgia. Yeah. Okay. I add up my scores and it's a four. So, you know, um, that's a no. And, uh, and I use a more gestalt kind of, uh, approach. Of course you do. My feeling. Uh, and, uh, I also say four out okay. of five. It is, and four out of five in the AV star range is movies that you think are really good movies that other people should watch. Sure, and that's I'm what, not saying don't watch it. I'm not saying it's garbage. And I have said that about some, not garbage. I have said about some other nominations take that, it if, or leave that it. if yeah. someone said, "Should I watch this?" I'd go, "Ah, I guess so." Yeah, but not this one. I'd say, "Yeah, watch it." Well, and uh, so. And I, I want to put a qualifier on mine to say, I voted yes for Miami Connection, which was a very kind of campy, rough movie. It was more poorly written, yeah, than this movie. Yeah, uh, and, and so so it's not a matter of uh, that that I can't separate myself from the sure. genre concept. Sure. That I'm not 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 a purist. As Brad mm-hmm. said, that he was expecting a certain amount of snobbery. No uh, snobbery. <laughs> you know what? There's no snobbery for me. Uh, I looked at it, I evaluated it, and I said, okay, does it reach what I have already decided was my threshold for Pantheon? And it doesn't. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. And, and I would say definitely watch it. Sure. Just not maybe with your kids around unless you no. have that kind of family. Or don't watch it at work. As work I was telling where you, other people can yeah, watch you no, watching it. Because you won't be working there yeah. anymore. Yeah. No, as I was telling you, the, the last rewatch I had warned my wife, my, my grandson's visiting, uh, he's little. I warned my wife I was watching it. And right when she says, oh, hey, babe. And I look up and she's looking into the family room where I'm watching it, holding my grandson on her hip. I hit pause. And as I as I answer a question, look at the TV, and you know there a is tribute to there is a Quigley's tribute Quigley's who <laughs> dancing on top of the, the the cemetery vault. So wonderful, yeah. Now nah, he's not young; he's not old enough to know what that is. But even so, it's not appropriate. And there's a lot of f bombs. Uh, sometimes 
there's there's at least two scenes where every third or fourth word is the F bomb. Yeah. So this is not for kids. Not Wolf of Wall Street level profanity. No, but... no, no, nor <laughs> yeah. drugs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, any final comments before we close? You no, know, I think uh, I really, really appreciate this nomination. I wasn't sure when Brad was talking about this nomination how I felt about it, but as always, once I go back and rewatch him, I'm always like, nope, I can see what he appreciates and what a lot of people appreciate about this movie. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm glad he did nominate it. Yeah, and it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. I had just as much fun watching Miami Connection and laughing at how bad it was. With this one, I'm watching it and, and, and not laughing at the comedy per se, but just laughing at how... Especially in the 80s. This was all normal. (laughs) So, uh, as always, I hope everyone enjoyed tonight's conversation. We have one more guest nomination this year. We do. Uh, Joshua McLaughlin, I do believe, is the Mm -hmm. guest, uh, the nominator. And we're not for sure what that's going to be yet. Not yet. So, we'll we'll see that and we'll talk about that when it comes up. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so where can Video Land find you? I'm on Facebook. You'll you'll find me there, and you can find me on Facebook as well. And you can find Adventures in Video Land on Instagram, uh, as well as on the web page AdventuresInVideoLand.com, mm-hmm. which has a bunch of interesting stuff on it. Cool. It has the Pantheon rules and it what does. is in Pantheon and what has been nominated and not made Pantheon, as well as a bunch of other stuff. But the conversation always begins and ends on Facebook, and uh, my friends, you have been listening to Criticism in its finest hour. Until next time, Video Landers. No, I don't think that works. Uh, how about this? Okay. We, we love, love you. you.